Vikings of the Pandemic, Episode 1. Narsaquak, Greenland, August 2025. Anna gazed out over the blue water of the fjord and the steep cliffs rising above it and slowly drank her tea. The 1950s prefabricated building where she was staying had few attractive features, but the large window that ran along the western wall where the staff lounge and cafeteria were located was one of them. Twenty scientists and support staff from all over the world were housed here at Nersakslak Airport in Greenland, a former air base during World War II. The scientists had been asked by the World Health Organization to collect and complete preliminary analysis of subarctic and arctic plants and animal life found on the coast of Greenland. The WHO, along with cooperating public health agencies around the world, were leading a battle against the pandemic. The WHO wanted to know if medicinal compounds found in Greenland could be used as an antidote or as a treatment for the virus that was raging around the world. The infection rate of this virus worldwide was 40%, with only a few geographic regions being spared. Of those infected, 60% perished within a week. To date, over 150 million deaths had occurred worldwide. Anna Work, an American physician and biochemist, is working with a small team whose task it is to determine whether specimens collected from Greenland have any of this potential to stop the virus. The team is experimenting with several strains of the virus using extraordinary precautions as they work in a specially designed laboratory. This is how the virus attacks its victims. It latches onto a human cell and then generates an envelope made of phospholipids that surround the virus and the target cell. The envelope is slippery, enabling the virus to get inside the cell that will become its host. A virus is a parasite. It cannot survive without a host. Once inside the host cell, the viral RNA captures the RNA of the host cell and then the cell's DNA and then starts replicating. When the multiplying RNA runs out of space, the virus bursts through the host cell in search of more cells to infect. The proteins on the surface of the circulating viral RNA reassemble themselves into a protective cap. Protrusions from the cap look like a spike ball, and this spike ball circulates until it finds a healthy cell to infect. Not all the circulating viruses are lucky, and about half of them will not find a host, and they will die. The virus infects cells of the upper respiratory tract, enabling it to spread through breathing, coughing, and sneezing. Infection progresses to the lungs, then the vascular system, where it circulates to every organ in the human body. The virus is called the consumption virus. Isolation of infected individuals is the only means of preventing further spread. 
for the general population adhering to stringent public health guidelines, the only way that they, they will be saved from this virus. Anna slowly rises, walking towards the hallway containing offices and meeting rooms. The laboratory team is about to meet. Ivan Jacobson passes her in the hall. He is the boat captain, whose job it is to ferry the team members around Greenland's fjords and inlets. He is with two biologists from Arctic Station in Kwaktorsak, Greenland, and also his boat crew. He's, uh, they are on their way, even with their outdoor gear on, towards the cafeteria. They're chatting about their latest outing. Their deep tans speak of many hours spent in the Arctic sun. Hello, Dr. Work. Ivan smiles broadly as he approaches Anya. We have brought many specimens for your laboratory today. You will be working many hours into the night. He claps her on the back as he moves with the rest of his team down the hall. Greetings, Ivan, Anna murmurs behind her mask. Being outside does a lot to boost one's spirit, she thought. She's going out with the collection team tomorrow. The scientists rotate their collection and lab duties in order to give them a broader perspective on their important work. Thurgood Haraldson is setting up the room for the meeting. Thurgood is the project team leader and is an oceanographer and climatologist from Iceland with expertise on the Arctic and subarctic region around Greenland. The Scottish epidemiologist Cynthia McKinnon who has been tracking the virus even before it reached pandemic proportions in October 2024, is sitting at the table. Tyler Trafford, an Australian, also is present, and he is the communication link to WHO and other public health agencies. Thurgood hands out copies of the team notes from the past two days. Besides Anna, the laboratory team includes a virologist, Lily Yabasaki from Japan, and another biochemist, Gupta Arwal from India. The three of them will identify those species of flora fauna that look promising, and they'll take these back to their medical lab in St. John's for further investigation. Anna, Lily, and Gupta, together with the two Greenlander biologists, were given three weeks to complete their assignment. Cynthia speaks first. She projects maps on the screen showing the global reach of the virus. Red indicates the most virulent regions of the world, where five out of every ten persons is infected with 60% fatality rate. A timeline illustrates the spread of the virus since March 2024, when it was first identified. Not shown on Cynthia's maps is the rapid decline of productivity in the world's agriculture, manufacturing, retail, and services because of pandemic. The world's economies are failing and food scarcity is rising. All regions are experiencing severe labor shortages. Essential supplies like safe drinking water, fuel, protective equipment, and medicines are in short supply. Since December 2024, the world's productive population has been reduced by half, 
The virus broke out on an unprepared world simultaneously in several locations across the globe. Countries that still have a functioning government operate out of the centers far away from urban contagion and deliver emergency services to their citizens as they are able. For the most part, people are on their own in organizing their survival. Greenland, Northern Canada, and Alaska are the green zones on Cynthia's map, the areas where infection rates are the lowest. International public health experts have turned their attention to the North to determine if the North could provide some hope to a diseased and functional world depleted of its population and economy. Is it possible that some populations here are resistant to this virus? The green zones of Greenland, Nunavut, Northwest Territories, and Yukon in Canada and Alaska in the United States are where WHO is conducting major public health and medical research. It has been a devil getting accurate worldwide statistics, Cynthia explained. The information about victims is not reliable regarding age, sex, ethnicity, etc. And there is little about their previous medical history. Most countries are trying hard to adhere to WHO statistical guidelines, but this is difficult given the scarcity of staff and the crisis situation. We need on-the-ground epidemiological studies. I have asked a demographer to provide us with more detail about the geography and population characteristics in the most affected regions. More isolated areas around the world are showing lower infection rates, but we do not know if that's because of their location or for some other factor. The North American Arctic and Subarctic is the greatest exception to the rapid transmission of this virus. Cynthia zeroed in on the Americas. You see here how the green zones are concentrated in the far north with possible immunity cascading in tiny green slivers into southern parts of Canada and the continental United States. Why and how are some people in these southern areas protected though they are surrounded by the virulence? Is there a genetic factor at play for them or for these, their northern counterparts? That is a big question for all of us. Cynthia took her seat next to Anna. Thurgood leaned over the conference table. Thank you, Cynthia, for that update. As far as our situation here in Greenland is concerned, the belting of the ice caps has caused Greenland's shoreline to rise further above sea level. This has been a boon to our collection efforts as we now have access to previously unknown sea and shore life. Our biologists have found several specimens of sea anemones, arctic slugs, and ice worms that were not known to us before. I would like the lab team to focus on these newly discovered specimens. The team nodded in agreement. Gupta spoke up. I've been isolating the enzymes that the carnivorous plants very common here in Greenland produce. Greenland soil is lacking in essential nutrients and proteins that plants need to survive, and they get these nutrients from biomaterial they entrap. They exude enzymes in two stages, first to disable and then to digest their prey. I'm analyzing the biochemistry of these enzymes to determine if they would have the capability of attacking the virus. This approach might have some potential. Which strain of the virus are you using? Lily asked. Our lab strains quickly become out of date 
as the virus keeps mutating. Viral strains are combining, even with other viruses. I understand that samples of the most recent mutations were lifted to us this morning. The focus of my work will be to differentiate newer strains from their predecessors. I've initiated my investigation on a strain of the virus that was isolated this past January, Gupta replied, but I will replicate my results with the strains we received today. Comparative analysis of these strains is very helpful in order to find common characteristics and vulnerabilities. Lily nodded her head in agreement. Thurgood asked Anna for her comments. An avenue that I've been exploring is whether there is vulnerability in the virus structure. Is it possible to break up the component parts to depolarize the virus? The virus is impressed us all as a lean and efficient mechanism. Is there some way to neutralize this mechanism, rendering it ineffective? Cynthia's map tells us there is something in North that is interfering with the spread of this virus, and I want to examine soil and water samples as a possible source of resistance. I will be heading out with the collection team tomorrow to pursue this avenue. How the individual components of the virus work together would be useful to know, Gupta said. The virus is very successful in binding to the cell that it is invading. So far, our antiviral medications have not been able to block the binding. And this protective in, in, envelope that encases the virus is very slippery. It's so aggressive and it inserts itself inside the host cell. Can the binding efficiency of these invasive proteins be disrupted by the substances we are investigating here? Good questions, everyone, Thurgo said. We will meet in two days' time to discuss your results. Remember, we do not have to find a final solution here in Greenland, just new avenues of investigation. Thurgo wound up the meeting. They were all heading to the cafeteria for dinner. Joining the rest of the team, a Greenland climatologist was addressing the group after dinner on climate change. The climate was changing so rapidly and so unpredictably, and it was a critical factor they considered in their work. Anna returned to the lab after the climate talk to examine the results of her test she had run during the day. None of the extracts altered the structure of the virus that she could see. She wondered if Gupta was having any more success than her. He was still at his bench when she tapped him on the shoulder and nodded goodnight through her face shield. Anna was intrigued by his plan to further analyze the carnivorous plant enzymes. She herself was anxious to take a look at the latest short collection. They all desperately wanted to find something that killed or interrupted this virus. It was late by the time she retired to the double room she shared with Lily. Lily was asleep. She was small and compact compared to the big-boned Anna who took after her northern European ancestors, and she needed her rest to carry on the exacting work with the electron microscope. Lily was a thoughtful and quiet person, but Anna could tell she was worried about her family remaining in Japan. There was no green zone in Japan. 
It was constantly being buffeted by floods, earthquakes, volcanoes, and now, now, this virus. Narsakwek Airport was located on a plateau above one of the many deep fjords dissecting Greenland's southern peninsula and was surrounded by mountains. The U.S. airport air base and signaling station that was built in 1941 played a vital role in the Allies' defense of the North Atlantic against the Germans in World War II. The town of Narsarsuk grew up around the airboat base. In the 1950s, the U.S. handed the base and the town over to the Danes because the threat of war was over and intercontinental communication systems had improved. But now, with the melting of the Greenland ice caps, North Atlantic shipping channels were frequently blocked by icebergs, making sea travel by cargo and passenger ship and military vessel very hazardous. This airstrip had once again become logistically important, as were similar institutions in Newfoundland and Iceland. With the shortage of fuel, Critical supplies and personnel were being flown by short refueling hops across the Atlantic in between these northern outposts. The bunker-like building that the team occupied was furnished very sparsely, and it was brought back to life in 2025 by WHO, WHO in cooperation with the Danish government. It formally housed a medical laboratory attached to the military hospital that was on the U.S. base, making it ideal for the work that the team was undertaking. Anna quietly undressed in the dark, and before getting into bed, she gazed out the window. She cranked it open slightly, feeling the cool breeze on her face. She could not see the cliffs to the west, then on this clear night, she could see twinkling lights from the community of Kukutarksak on the other side of the fjord. Captain Jacobson pointed out this town to her and told her in Norse times, the town was called Bradahild, where Eric the Red, the Norwegian founder of Greenland, had his farm. The air airport was very close to the site of the Garter Cathedral built by the Norse in 1200. The captain promised to take her to this cathedral ruins in the coming days. Anna closed her eyes thinking about her two children, Samantha, age eight, and Alexander, age five. Anna wondered how her children were occupied during the summer holidays. In Newfoundland, where they lived, was plenty of outdoor activities for her children to engage in. Because of low infection rates, the public schools in St. John's were open during the past school year. Anna hoped that the children would be able to resume in-person classes in the fall. Her family was living in a bright blue row house in St. John's. Anna's husband, Benjamin Patton, was a virologist and an epidemiologist working in the field, getting better understanding of how the virus attacked and killed its victims. Her mother, Claire Work, was with them, looking after the children. 
Claire was a public health physician, now retired. The family relocated to Newfoundland from California at Christmas time, 2024, when Anna was transferred to one of WHO's largest medical labs, located at Cape Spear, just outside of St. John's. Anna did not know where her husband Benjamin was at the moment, but he promised to be back in St. John's by the time she returned to Greenland. In their past lives, Benjamin and Anna had both worked out of the labs at the UCLA campus in Los Angeles, where they both taught in the School of Public Health. Their lives in California were cut short in December 2024, when they were both asked by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services to assist WHO in the war against the virus. California was being devastated by the virus as it spread rapidly through its high, highly populated centers. As a precaution, Anna's mother took her two grandchildren north to Alberta, Canada to stay with friends there. This was in the early stages of the pandemic. When Anna was relocated to St. John's, Benjamin and Anna stored their personal belongings in their cabin located outside of Bishop and left. Los Angeles condominium in the hands of the property management. Anna could not get rid of the images of the deadly virus that she was so familiar with and that she had been staring at with her microscope over the past year. At the beginning of the pandemic, she and Benjamin worked in LA County hospitals treating patients and the virus was not discriminating. It attacked victims of all ages, not just the young, the elderly, and the medically compromised. It attacked all races and all classes. And so the first indications of the virus were flu-like symptoms, and then followed by fever and severe headaches. Depending on which strain of the virus was attacking the body, other symptoms followed muscular weakness and fatigue disabled the patients and sores broke out on their skin. Once the virus pe penetrated the blood system and the central nervous system, the patient was literally consumed both inside and out. The consumption virus was unlike anything they had seen before. The infected human body radiated contamination and only complete isolation of the patient saved healthcare workers and others from its fury. Virologists were not agreed upon whether or not a vector was associated with the pandemic. And if a vector was responsible, they had not identified it with any certainty Humans seem to be the perfect host. Most epidemiologists believe that the global pandemic that occurred in 2020-2021 was the predecessor. The coronavirus in that pandemic was highly contagious, but not as deadly, with a 3% fatality rate, particularly among the elderly. The virus lay dormant for two or three years while mutating and combining with other viruses, and it emerged in a form more virulent than any virus known to man. Anne turned over on her side, willing herself to go to sleep. Tomorrow she would be out with the collection team, 
taking in the fresh ocean air, the wonderful smell of the sea on the green hillsides rising above the blue water. In all this disaster, the world was still a beautiful place. Captain Ivan and his crew would take them past local settlements as well as ancient ruins that dotted the countryside and tell the scientists of Greenland's history.